right, good morning. For those of you that weren't in here earlier, it's good to see you. Glad you're here today. Uh, we are full swing into the Christmas season. Even wore the, the plaid. It's the same thing I wore last night. Don't say anything about it, okay? Looks so nice, I wore it twice. I didn't want to decide when I got up this morning, so I just put the same thing back on. But anyway, uh, glad you're here today. We are not, as Jess mentioned earlier, we're not starting our Christmas series quite yet. We have one more week in Romans, then we're going to take a break for Christmas and New Year's. We'll come back and we'll start Romans again in the middle of January. But um, so here, this, you know, we're like, it's intermission. That's what it is. It's the holiday intermission in the book of Romans as we go through. Um, but so glad that you are here for it, especially if it's your first time. We have been doing this for a little while now, but it's easy enough to drop right into the middle of it, and everything's online if you want to catch up. And so it's all there for you. Uh, We've been learning our way through the book of Romans. We found ourselves now at Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, Normally at the beginning, I would have like a, you know, story or a joke, or I would talk about football for 20 minutes. Normally that's what would happen here. Uh, But we are today, by the way, going to do an entire chapter in Romans. We're going to go all the way through Romans chapter 7, which is a lot of ground to cover. So I'm just going to skip the pleasantries and we are going to get right to it. (laughs) Okay. So to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us, Paul has been setting up the good news in the book of Romans. He's got Christians in Rome, the city of Rome, and they are fairly new at this whole thing. Well, everybody's fairly new at the whole thing, I guess. And so um, you have all these people in Rome that have found out about Jesus and have put their faith in Jesus, and they've started meeting together in groups, but there's no formalized church yet in Rome. It's not like a central place where everybody goes. There are groups of people that are meeting throughout the city, kind of house churches or apartment or tenement churches throughout the city that are led by various people. And Paul understands, being Roman by birth, he understands how important the area is, and and I'm sure through the leadership of the Spirit, understands how important Rome is going to be in the future of the church and the future of the region. Eventually, the Roman Empire is going to be the dominant world superpower, and the church in Rome is going to be the most influential church in the entire world. And it's starting right here with a groups of people that are meeting around the city in these, in these churches, in these groups, in these fellowships. And so he wants to, in the book of Romans, make sure that their foundation is very firm in what they believe. That they have a really good handle, not only on what Jesus did for them and why it was necessary, but how they're supposed to live as a result of that. And how they're supposed to think about things like, okay, and this is really crucial to what we're going to talk about today. A lot of the people that were in Rome, not the majority of them, the majority of the Christians in Rome would have been Gentile. But there were particularly the leaders of these churches would have been Jewish or would have had that heritage. And they would have understood the law, the Old Testament law, really, really well. And one of the big questions that people had was, okay, if I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ, what do we do about the law? What do we do about all that How do we think about it? What role does it play in our life? And so we're going to talk about that today. All right. So if I'm saved by grace, and this is the question that I think anybody asks, that when you come to, really, if it were any religion you were coming to, but but in Christianity, you say, okay, what I believe is that I'm sinful and I've fallen short of the glory of God and I need to be saved and I can't do that myself. I can't be good enough to save myself. And so God, in his mercy and grace, sent Jesus Christ to earth, and Jesus lived without sin, and Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross in my place. 
and he offered to pay the penalty of my sin for me. And then he was put into a tomb, and on the third day he rose again in power and victory. And the, and the deal is, God has told me that if I will put my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, instead of myself, if I'll put my faith in him for salvation, then he will forgive me of my sin, and he will raise me to life in the same way that Jesus was raised to life. So that's the good news. But if I accept that, and if you've accepted that, or if you're thinking about accepting it, the next question would be, okay, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what are the rules? Now what? Good, good, cool, 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 cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. What do I do now? What are the rules that we play by? Everybody wants to know the rules. We talk about this a lot around here because it's one of the big struggles that we have. The question for a Christian, like I said, it would be any religion if you were converting to anything. You'd be like, or you go to a new job or whatever, right? What are the rules? Or you're learning a new game or a new sport. What are the rules? Why do we want to know the rules? We want to know the rules because we want to know how to win. And maybe more importantly, we want to know how not to lose. <laughs> right? I want to know how not to lose. So tell me what the rules are. What are the rules that we're all playing, playing by that dictate the way that this game is played? That's what we want to know. That would be the natural question for them to ask, and it's a natural question for us to ask, too. And in their case, specifically, historically, the question is, what do we do about the law? Is that the rules? Are those still the rules? Are those, are those, those, are the, those are the rules that we've had, or are those the rules that we still play by? What is it, what is, what is it now? That's what we're going to cover. So let's get into Romans chapter 7. All right, starting at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Okay, so he's specifically speaking to the Jews in these congregations because they know and have had and are familiar with and have lived by, presumably, the law. All right, so he says, don't you know that the law has dominion over you? It has dominion over it. It's had dominion over you, all right? It's an important concept. The law rules over man and ruled over man. And uh, in some cases, that creates safety. It creates confidence. It creates comfort, you know? I think about driving. When I think about rules, I think about driving because we have to deal with rules all the time when we're driving, right? There's all kinds of laws. There's all kinds of expectations. And it's good to know when you're out on the road that people are going to abide by the rules. That makes you feel safe, you know? My concern when I'm on the road is uh, I know I'm going to abide by the law and abide by the rules because I want to keep me and the people in my car safe. I just don't always know if the other car is going to. <laughs> That's where defensive driving comes from. But if we just follow the rules, we follow the law, then everybody's safe and everybody's good. We love having rule systems like this because we know what to expect. All right? It's like when you come up to a four-way stop, I've talked about this before. It's one of, I'm not going to talk about turn signals. It's okay. All right? That's my biggest pet peeve. But if, but if you come up to a four-way stop, right, and people are getting there at different times, you got to know the rules of that. All right? You got to know the rules. And, and when you get to the four-way stop, just follow the rules. That's, that's the best thing you can do, the safest thing. None of this. Don't be kind. Stop being kind. All right? Just follow the rules. That's the kindest thing you can do is just follow the rules. No waving people on and doing Then nobody knows what's going on. That is chaos. All right, everybody just follow the rules, right? First one there wins. First one there gets to go. If not, it's the right away. It's the person to the right, right? Just get, like it, know the rules, all right? Because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel comfortable. And so we want to know what the rules are. And Paul says, don't you know, those of you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law rules over man and has ruled over man? But what has that done? You know, what does that mean for us as Christians, 
All right. Uh, let's go to, let's keep reading verse two. He's going to give an analogy here. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, she, if, so then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law, so she is no adulteress, though she's married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, what is he saying? First of all, let's not get hung up on the marriage analogy. We could sit there and we could talk about the marriage analogy, but what we need to pull out for today is to understand he's giving an example. It is, it is so that we understand that when you're in an agreement with, with someone, in this case marriage, you're bound to them. And, but then when one of them dies, you are no longer bound to them and you're free to marry some, something or someone, not something else. Someone else, right? All right, that, and that whole thing, that's a conversation for another day. The point he's making, and it's not a, it's not a perfect, perfect, perfect analogy. The point he's making is, you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have died to sin and died to the law, okay? And we talked about that over the last few weeks. So if you, if you want more detail on that, watch a couple of the, the, the most recent messages. But um, you have died to the law, and you need to reckon yourself dead to sin. And, and the control of the law. And because you are dead to that, you are free. You are free to be in a new relationship. And you are no longer under the law. You are no longer bound by sin. But now you are free to essentially, in this analogy, marry Jesus and to walk with him. So there is something that has changed. You are no longer, the law no longer has dominion over you because you died to it. Now you're in something else. What does that mean? If we don't, if, what, what do we do with those rules then? What do we, how do we think about this? How do we think about all of it? Reckon ourselves dead to sin, dead to the law. He goes on, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So he said before, when we were under the law, the law had dominion over us. It actually, he said, uh, sinful passions were aroused by it. Meaning it just caused more sin. And he's going to talk more about that. So we'll, 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 we'll get that idea a little more clearly in a second. But the law was supposed to bring righteousness, or that was presumably what it was supposed to do, but all it did was bring more sin and highlight more sin. But he said, you have been, because you've died to that, you've been freed from that, and now you're in a totally new reality, and that reality is not living under a set of rules that dictate your entire life and how you please God. Now your life is in the reality of walking in the newness of the Spirit, and it is completely different to walk in the newness of the Spirit than it is to live under the letter of the law. Completely different experiences. Paul's been talking in Romans about the difference, and particularly back in, in chapter 6, talking about the difference between walking the way God wants and walking in an experience of life and walking in the old way and walking in an experience of death. 
And so here he's, what he's showing them is, I'm speaking, he's speaking to those who, who understand the law, who've been under the law. You understand that that had dominion over you. And all that led to was an experience of death. But now you walk in the newness of the spirit and you can experience life. All right, very important. Serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. He said that the, the, the being under the law actually aroused sinful passions. How does that work? It sounds a little silly, but the, the reality is we see this, we know this, okay? When somebody puts a rule on you, what is your reaction to that? Oh, thank you so much for that rule. I'm so thankful that you put this restriction on me because I know that it's going to make my life better. I wish that you would give me more and more rules so that my life would get better and better. Um, no. No, when somebody gives you a rule, like for those of you that are rule followers, still the, oftentimes the reaction is, let me see how close to that I can get without actually going, oh, let me see if, you know what, I bet I can find a loophole, all right? What about this? What about that? And in some cases, when a rule is put in front of us, we're like, oh, I never thought about that before. Was that an option? You know, I heard a story about a hotel in Florida that was like right on the beach. I mean, right on the water, basically. And they were worried that people were going to be fishing off the balconies of the hotel. Uh, yeah, I believe, maybe not Florida, uh, South Carolina. So it's a hotel in South Carolina. They're worried that people are going to be fishing off the balconies of the hotel. And so to preempt that, they put signs on all of the balconies that said no fishing off the balcony. Well, then what did they have? They had tons of people fishing off the balcony of the hotel. And their solution was to take the sign down. And when they took the signs down, nobody fished off the balconies. Right? Because you see it and you're like, well, you know what? That would be kind of fun, you know? There's a sense in which having those rules and having that law only inspires in a sinful desire to break the law or to push the law or to see... You know, we talk about the line all the time. Like, if, if this is the line in the sand, then I'm like, I just want to be just over that line. Like, how, how much sin can I do without too much sin? You know, how, how, where, if we want to know where the line is, it's because we want to be just across it, right? And so he says that we were under the law and all it did was highlight more and more sin, point out more and more sin, inspire more and more sin in us. All right. He said these sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Okay. We experienced death, but we've been delivered from that, he said. And now we are to walk in the newness of the spirit. Okay. So what do we do? What shall we say then? This is verse 7. All right, if the law, all it did was bring more sin and show more sin and highlight more sin. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law bad? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So the law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. The, all the law does, all those rules do, is expose what's already in our heart. Right? Sin was the problem. The law was not the problem. Sin 
was the problem. He said, the law is good. I, it is whether you are under the law or whether you are walking under the newness of the spirit, sin is still sin. Okay? Sin is anything that is outside of the character and will of God. And so it's not like because we're not under the law, there's no sin anymore. It's just that under the newness of the spirit, there's a different experience and there's a different goal and there's a different motivation than when we are under the law. And so he said, no, the law is good because if the law, if the law didn't exist, I wouldn't know the character and will of God. I'd just be guessing at it. But the law taught me that. It showed me that. My problem is that the sin that is within me, when it was under this rule, under these rules, all it did was show and highlight and inspire more and more sin in me. And so it wasn't productive. It wasn't productive in that way. It was counterproductive. The law exposed what was already in our hearts. But it does play a very important role. All right? He says, verse 9, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, killed me. Now, this is kind of a, uh, it's a little bit of a confusing passage, um, verses 9 through 11. And there is a lot of debate among Bible teachers uh, as to what exactly Paul is talking about here. When he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. There's a lot of conversation about that. A couple of verses earlier, he talked about um, that he was, let me, let me get it right. Um, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused the law, uh, were at work in our members, but then we were delivered, okay? So here, though, some people say, well, maybe this is all, maybe he says, I was alive once without the law. Maybe he's just talking about generally about humanity. Humanity was alive before the law and then the law came. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Um, some say that uh, he's talking about uh, uh, this very general about everyone. Some people say that he's going back and he's talking about before he's converted. So back when he was a Pharisee and he was under the law and um, he's talking about that. But I don't think, and this is, just, this is my opinion and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he is now transitioned. He was talking about that, but now he's talking about his experience now as a believer, as a Christian. And I think what he's saying is in verse nine, I was alive once without the law. Meaning when he first accepted Jesus Christ, he was walking in the newness of the spirit and not allowing a law or rules or that to come down on him and to, to, uh, to bring the experience of death. He was walking in the newness of the spirit. He was enjoying grace and, and walking closely with God. And then he says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Meaning he was walking in the freedom of the spirit. But then he allowed the law to come back over him, whether that was a commandment or multiple commandments or whatever. He started, whether that was someone else putting that back on him, that pressure back on him. Oh, oh, Paul, you, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and that's fantastic. But guess what? You also have to still keep the Sabbath because the law says that you have to keep the Sabbath. So, yes, you're saved by grace, but you also have to keep the Sabbath. He was like, oh, oh, well, you know what? Maybe you're right. And so he allowed that commandment to come back. He allowed the law to come back over him. And then he started keeping the Sabbath out of obligation. And instead of having the experience of life and the spirit he was supposed to have, now he has the experience of death again 
because he's come back under that obligation. He's come back under that weight. He's come back under that law. And so it says, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life because rest is good, and that's what God wants for us. I'm just using this as an example, all right, as a hypothetical. Rest is good, and it's what God wants from us. But because he allowed the commandment, the law, to rest on him, he experienced death, um, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. Now listen, this is something that happens. It happens to all of us. It happens to all Christians. It is all over the Christian faith. There are, frankly, there are churches that base their entire ministry on this. It's something we call legalism. It's when Christians who are free and Christians who have received the Spirit are told once again that they have to submit to a law. And that if they don't submit to that law, in worst case scenario, they'll lose their salvation. Or if they, if, they, um, if they don't submit to the law, then they are sinning. And if they're sinning, then God is angry with them. Or that they've lost their relationship with him. That in some cases, it's, and this is, this is like, there's a whole movement happening right now. And I, I know specifically uh, members of your families that you told me about that are in churches like this that are teaching that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and then you must keep the Old Testament law to a T as a Christian. People that are changing their diets and changing their, their schedules and changing all of these things, and they're following the Old Testament law out of obligation because they're told they have to. Or in some places, it's creating a new law about what you're supposed to wear or what you're supposed to do or not do or what you're supposed to eat or how you're supposed to do this or that legalism in the church today is no different than being under the law in the Old Testament. It's just a new law. That's all it is. And it produces the same thing that the Old Testament produced. I consistently see people who come out of or are in legalistic Christian churches who are struggling so deeply with sin because sin is such a focus in those churches. Because it's constantly talked about, it's constantly condemned, and I mean, sin should be condemned, but, but when the focus is on sin and the rules and keeping the rules, it takes people and puts them in this, like this straitjacket, this box, this, this feeling of just being absolutely restricted and weighed down, and it's some people just suffer under that, and some people can't suffer under it, and so they get crushed by it. And some people don't get crushed by it. They just explode through it. And I see, I, I hate it, but I see some of the deepest sin in Christians coming out of legalistic environments. And it's because they've been put under the weight of the law. And they're trying to just stay above the standard, just stay above the line, like, like you know, like a duck that looks that looks totally calm above the water, but under the water, its legs are going like that. Just trying to stay afloat when that is not the way we are supposed to live as Christians. We are not supposed to be looking at a line drawn in the sand and say, I just got to be over that line. 
We are just, we in the newness of the spirit, and the, and the scripture, of course, still shows us what sin is and shows us what God's character and his will is, and, that's, and it's valuable. And the spirit uses the scripture so that we can look at Jesus and we can say, I want to be like him. As much as I can like him, I want to be like him. You don't need to put a you don't put law or rules or all that stuff on me. I want to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. And the Spirit helps walk me towards that. And he uses the scripture and understanding what is honoring to God and what God's will is as I do that. But we are not supposed to be living under a law. We're free. We died to it. We've married someone else. And so that weight of the rules and the expectations and all that on our shoulders will crush us and it will kill us. We're in this battle all the time. Let's keep going. Got to keep going. Verse 12. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. All right, we've talked about that. And I want to be really clear about that in this message because anytime I talk about the freedom that we have in Christ, walking in the newness of the Spirit, I don't want that to be mistaken as saying that sin does not exist anymore. It does. But what sin, when we act outside of God's character and his will, what it does is disrupt and hurt our relationship with him. It does not disconnect us from him. It does not take away our salvation. All right, but sin does exist, and we should be in our life looking for where sin exists, and we should be listening to and following the Spirit. My job as a pastor is not to teach you what the new law is. There isn't one. I don't need to give it to you. My job as a pastor is to teach you to listen to and follow the Spirit with your whole heart and your whole life, and that's it. That's it. Follow Him with your whole heart and your whole life, aspiring to the highest levels of holiness you can possibly aspire to. Allowing him to use the scripture to lead you to what that is. But it's not my job or anybody else's job to impose a law on you or a set of rules. You need to follow the spirit. You need to listen to him. All right. And I think, I think, and I think about this in my own life. I think that the desire to have a set of rules to follow is often out of my own laziness. Because I just don't want to put the work into listening to him and talking to him. And following him. And so it's just easier if you give me a list of rules that I keep. But those lists of rules quickly put a weight on my shoulders. And so we need to learn how to walk in the spirit. Listen to him. Walk in him. Allow him to use scripture to show us the sin that's in our life so that we can be more and more like Jesus. Not so we can wear a weight of guilt and shame and condemnation on our shoulders. So we can inspire to the highest levels of holiness. All right. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He is setting up this battle that goes on in our life. And you understand this because it's not as, it, 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 experientially, it's just not as simple and clean as, oh, I'll just follow the Spirit and I'll become like Jesus, right? That's not, real life is, is a battle that is happening within us. And that's what he's talking about next. He says, and if you can relate to this, I, I know I can relate to this, and, and I think you can too. It's maybe one of the most relatable passages of Scripture from Paul, uh, in, in all of his writings, verse 15, for what I'm doing, 
I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So it's almost like, I don't know if you ever feel like this. For Paul, the way he's explaining this, it's almost like when he sins, it's an out-of-body experience. It's like he's looking back at himself and he's sinning, and that's not what he wants to do, but it's what he's doing because of the sin and the, the weakness of his flesh. And so he's looking at himself while he's sinning and going, why am I doing this? What are you doing? This is not you. This is not me. Why are you doing this? Like, I don't understand why. If I don't want to sin, I continue to sin. It's because there continues to be a battle within you and me between our will and the flesh. Always. Always. It's a back and forth. It's it's a fight. It's a battle. And he's looking at himself and going, I don't understand why I can't get this right. Why can't I fix this? Why can't I get, why can't I overcome this thing that I'm struggling with? Why is it always fighting my will and my flesh. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's talking about a battle between his will and his nature. Now, he has not talked about the spirit yet. He said, uh, what happened was I was walking in freedom, and then the commandment came, and I allowed it to come to be over me, and it killed me. And then I end up in this this battle. I end up in this fight between my will and my flesh. And I know what I want to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the rule is. I know what the commandment is. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just can't seem to do it because my flesh seems like it's stronger than my will. Guess what? It is. Your flesh is stronger than your will. And my flesh is stronger than my will. And if I try to live my life just by sheer willpower and determination, lifting myself up by my own bootstraps to overcome my flesh, I will fail. And so will you. At best, the result is net zero. We try so hard. Try to be good try to follow the rules, try to please everybody who we think needs to be pleased, try to do all of the things and to be who we're supposed to be. And if it's just a battle of sheer willpower, we will lose. And I think you already know that. It feels like drowning. Gasping for air. It goes on in verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. That even though I want to do good, even though I want to do all this stuff, but the flesh is still, still evil. 
For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's bringing me back under that. It's taking me back under it, taking me back under the law. He says, O wretched man that I am. This is Paul, by the way, I might point out. One of the pillars of our faith. One of the most influential, passionate, effective Christians that has ever walked the face of the planet. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because the point he's just made is, I can't seem to deliver myself from it. I've tried over and over and over again. I've fought and I've scratched and I've clawed. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And the word that he uses in Greek, wretched is a, is a good translation, but it's missing something. The word that he uses here for wretched is someone who is absolutely destroyed by a hard day's labor. It's when you've been working to your bone all day long and you're absolutely, completely exhausted. What beaten down, exhausted, wretched man that I am. Fighting this fight constantly, who will save me from this body of death? This is what legalistic approach to faith does to us. And when we're, when we're under the weight of that, of those rules and that law, it will have one of two effects. It either cauterizes us against our own sin, we stop seeing our own sin, and that turns us into self-righteous and judgmental people. Or it crushes us and turns us into Christians who are full of shame and guilt and fear and insecurity. And that is not the way that you were meant to live. That is not what God set you free to do or set you free to be. Verse 25, I thank God who will deliver, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And that's the end of the chapter. And I said we were going to do the whole chapter. And I would love to stop there, but we're not stopping there. Okay? We can't stop there. we got to dip our toe into chapter 8 just a little bit. All right? Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You're in this fight, and it's your will against your flesh, and your will is losing, and your flesh is winning. There is now for us in Christ a third party at play. And that is the Spirit. And if our focus is on Him, if our focus is on Him and understanding that in Christ there is no condemnation for me, 
I am in Christ Jesus, and there is no condemnation for me. Which means I have no business walking in guilt or shame or fear or insecurity, not at all. Because I am forgiven, and I am free, and I don't have to fight on my own against the sin that's coming through my flesh. I can walk in the newness of the Spirit. And I can listen to him, and I can let him empower me, and I can let him lead me, and I can do that with my chin up and my head held high, and not letting anybody else put a system of rules or whatever else on me. I walk with him knowing that I am forgiven and I am free. And the experience of walking in the Spirit versus the experience of walking in the sin and walking in the law is the difference between feeling the experience of death in my life and really feeling what it means to live. To know that my responsibility to God is to listen, is to change, is to be empowered and to serve and to love and to walk in grace and to extend grace. To, to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind. And to love my neighbor as myself. All led and empowered by the Spirit. Not checking the boxes. Not crossing things off the list. Not constantly in fear that I'm falling back below this line that's been drawn. But saying, I'm not even concerned about the line. The line's behind me. The line is beneath me. God has given me something better than the line. He's given me something better than the rules. He's given me someone better than the rules. And so I'm walking with the Spirit. And he's making me like Jesus. And that's what I want. He's showing me what sin is so that I understand where I'm failing and falling short. But not so I can dwell in it. Not so that I can be crushed by it. So that I can move forward. So that I can walk with him in faith, and confidence. I'm convinced of this personally. I think a preoccupation with sin does not lead to holiness. I think a preoccupation with sin leads to fear. And I don't think that's what God saved us for. So we don't need to dwell on sin. We don't need to dwell on judgment. And we don't need to dwell on condemnation. We need to dwell on Christ in the Spirit. We don't need to look down. We need to look up. don't need to look back. We need to look forward. Now, I will say this. Because Paul said the law is good. Okay, I don't want to make it sound like doing things that the law says to do are bad or that you shouldn't be doing them. But it's a question of how you do them. Because I know believers who, who walk in the Spirit, who follow the Spirit, who, is, who are led by the Spirit, who choose to follow elements of the law in their life. But they're, but they're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because it's an act of worship that they've chosen. And they, they know that those things... So I talked about the Sabbath earlier um, in the hypothetical with Paul. I'll use that again. I know Christians who observe the Sabbath. That's fantastic. God, God uh, gave the Israelites the principle of the Sabbath because they needed to understand how valuable it was to rest and how important it was for them to take that time to worship. 
all right? That's an important thing. He needed to teach them that because I think, logically speaking, you wouldn't assume that. You would think that the value God had is for you to work all of the time, right, and be productive and to work all the time, and you might think that resting is lazy. Well, God gave them the principle of the Sabbath so they could see that resting is productive and that it's important and that it's an act of worship. So I know Christians who choose to follow the Sabbath to the T in some cases, but it's not because they have to because they're under the law. They do it because they choose to. And that's a totally different thing. And I think that's a totally different experience of the Sabbath, too. Instead of sitting around thinking, oh, I wish I could be doing something, but I can't because it's the Sabbath. Right? Those are two different experiences. And, and one brings life and the other brings death. So it's not that those things are bad or wrong or anything else. It's, it's, it's a matter of how we view them. And whether it's a, it's a matter of choice and being led by the Spirit or whether it's the matter of a weight being on our shoulders. These are choices that we make. All right, go on down the line. You, you, you may choose to do those things as an act of worship, and that is good. But our responsibility is not to keep the law, keep the rules. Our responsibility is to walk in the newness of the Spirit and to praise Him and worship Him as we do, to offer Him everything in our life as an act of worship, to rise to the highest levels of holiness that we possibly can, not in our own strength, but in the leadership and power of the Spirit. That's what we are called to do as Christians. We're not looking at the line to see if we're over it. We're looking at the goal to see if we're pursuing it. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, I want to encourage you to be dwelling on that and thinking about that. When we come back in January to continue with this series, we'll start back at verse 1 of Romans chapter 8 as we go in uh, to kind of cover that again. But I think that this is maybe for somebody who is already a Christian, I think this is maybe the most important message for us to get in understanding how we walk and how we live and how we think about God and how we think about ourselves and our life and what he expects and what we're doing. Um, So let's go to him now in prayer. Ask him to settle this in our hearts um, and to show us how he wants to walk. And this week, if you're meeting in groups or if you have access to our study guide, it'll flesh out exactly, you know, some practical steps on how to do this. All right. Um, let's pray now. Father, we come to you and want you to know how much we love you and how thankful we are for you. And we are thankful that you have set us free. Where your spirit is, there is liberty. For freedom, we have been set free. And so we're not supposed to submit ourselves once again to a yoke of bondage. We're not supposed to step back under that weight what we want to do is we want to walk with you. And, and it's not in any way for us. We understand it's not in any way an excuse to sin. It's not, it's not a, a loophole or way to, to do other things genuinely from our hearts, God, right now. What we want you to, to see is our genuine desire to be transformed into the people you created us to be. And that through the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, to see where we're being held back from that, to see where the flesh is beginning to win, to see where we are sinning, and to be drawn into your truth, your character, 
in your will for us to see where we are out of alignment with what you want for us and that through the Spirit you would lead us into alignment. Forgive us for anywhere where we've allowed sin to creep back up, to get a hold on us, anywhere where we have mistakenly thought that it controlled us. Help us to do exactly what we've been talking about in this series, to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to you. Help us to walk closely with you. Because you have forgiven us freely, graciously. God, I pray if there's anybody who hasn't put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, they do that now. Believing in his death and his resurrection. They've been trying desperately for their entire life to be good enough, to measure up, to keep the rules. They've been trying to earn your favor and they can't. And I just pray, God, that right now they would put their faith in Jesus for salvation instead of themselves. Trust him for salvation. And that you raise them to life in the same way Jesus was raised. And that you begin, continue teaching us as believers saved by grace how to listen to and walk in the Spirit, how to please you and honor you with our life, how to serve you and to serve the people around us with our chins held high, with our shoulders unburdened, not falling back again under a weight of condemnation or guilt or shame or fear or insecurity, but to confidently walk with you and in you. That is something that all of us on a daily basis, we, we struggle with it. Sin, our flesh, continues to creep up in our life and to try to win. We don't want it to win. And so we know we are free. So we're asking you to remind us that we're free and to help us walk in the freedom that you've given to us. And even as we go into a season, we're going into a, where there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of weight. Let us not feel a bit from you, but just the inspiration in the spirit to love you, to serve you, to love others and serve them, to become more and more and more conformed, transformed in the image of your son as we keep moving towards your glory. We thank you today, God. We thank you for your continued leadership, empowering, and love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.